I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm teaching on Saturday on a whole bunch of things that are related to one another. I've run into myself again. I'm running into me as I teach. Sometimes I'll be teaching on Saturday and it runs, it bumps into the Wednesday message. I've done that ever since I've been teaching. I keep saying this book is the Word of God. It's not the words. When I say the words, I mean separate words or separate events. Every event is related to every other event. And every story is related to every other story. I'm trying to tell you about the covenant the covenant of God. The covenant and the testament, they're the same word. In the New Testament, covenant and testament, I've heard preachers say, they're not the same thing. You are, why don't you use a concordance and look it up and they'll tell you they're exactly the same word. Diathike. Preachers are a bunch of lazy bums. You know that? They are. They're too lazy to find out what something is and study it in detail. Diathike means last will and testament. Last will and testament. And Jesus took the cup at the last... Passover. It was not crackers and grape juice. They were eating the Passover. And he took the cup and blessed it. When the Bible says he blessed it, that's a signal to us. The third cup of the Passover, third cup, had an official title. Cup of Blessing. That's one reason we know they're eating the Passover. Cup of blessing. And Paul said the cup of blessing which we bless, 1 Corinthians ten sixteen. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? To drink of a cup of blood was an ancient idiom. It wasn't a real thing. It meant to undergo a violent death. It also meant to taste death. Now, I'm trying to bring to you, we have a covenant that we are a part of. And and the covenant has to do with God's promises to us. But he only promises his promises to the church. That is his predestinated elect family that he knew before the foundation of the world. That's his promises, A-G-G-E-L-I-A, is the word promise. Every time you find the word promise in the New Testament Greek, it's epabilia. Epi, it comes from epi, and angelos, A-G-G-E-L-O-S. Angelos is the word angel, or it means messenger. 
Forget the word angel. If you had time to go through your Bible and mark the word angel out and put messenger instead, that would be better. Because that's what it, that's exactly what it means. It can be a heavenly angel like Michael or Gabriel, but it's also preachers. Anybody that's a messenger is an angel. Maybe an evil angel, an evil message. So that's what he's talking about. It means to superimpose or cover the message of Christ upon God's church or God's people. Now, the covenant started everywhere you find God promising something to Israel. When they're coming out of the, they're coming out of, out of the 40 years in the, in the wilderness. They're coming out. The last thing that they're doing when they're coming out is the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy comes from duo, D-E-U-O, and nomos. Nomos is the Greek word law, and duo means second. We have a duet, that's where two people sing, and second law. That means numbers, Leviticus, Exodus was the law, and this was the second law or the second witness. There had to be two witnesses to establish everything in Israel, and you'll find those two witnesses spoken of in Numbers 35, Numbers 35, Deuteronomy 17, and Deuteronomy 19. So, when they're coming out, this is when Israel had been purified before they come into the land. We're talking about them coming into the land in Judges. Now, God tells them something. God tells them, don't you intermarry. Here's my covenant. Don't intermarry with the pagans. You intermarry with the pagans. Let me try to explain this. This has nothing to do with a KKK. It has nothing to do all through the Old Testament. God will warn Israel. Do not intermarry with the pagans when you go into the land. It's not talking about mixed marriages, black and white. It's not talking about mixed marriages, black and red and yellow. It's not talking about intermarrying the people. It's talking about... Turn your Bible over to Deuteronomy the seventh chapter. It's talking about the women would stay at home with the children. The husband would go out to work in the field or as a shepherd or as a carpenter or whatever his job was. And the woman would stay at home, and if she was a heathen, if they intermarried with the heathens, and they worshipped Baal or Grove or Shemosh or Molech or any of those gods, the woman would stay at home, teach her children this pagan worship. That's the whole idea of not intermarrying with the pagans. Had nothing to do with marrying black with white. I said it in the announcements that Moses in the twelfth chapter of Numbers married an Ethiopian woman, a black woman. And one guy got mad and and said, You were crazy. And Moses' sister Miriam started trouble about that. And she went to Aaron, 
Moses' older brother, her younger brother, and said, hey, we need to say something about Moses. Uh, He thinks he's the only one that hears from God. And God got angry, and God got angry and said, Aaron, you tell Miriam to come to the gate of the, come to the door of the tabernacle. I've got something to say to her. And she came to the door of the tabernacle. God struck her with a leprosy and said, I'm the one that put my approval on his marriage to that Ethiopian woman. Got a lot more to say about that. Josephus tells you a lot about it. Josephus, the historian, says that Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh to be a mighty general, a great soldier. You need to get the book of Josephus. You can look this up in the index. And he says that Moses grew up to be a great general, went to war with the enemies of Egypt. said one of the nations he went to war with was Ethiopia. And the Ethiopian princess saw what a mighty soldier he was. She said, I'm in love with him. And she wanted to marry him. So he married this Ethiopian princess. Whether you like it or not, that's history. Now, go over here to the chapter of Deuteronomy. God's covenant has to do with our obedience to him. Obedience. The covenant, you can't say, I got a covenant with God and I do anything I want to do. No, you can't. The church has a covenant with God and the Bible says you're not your own, you're bought with a price. You can't live the way you want. So when... Let me erase some of this. Start again. You can't live the way you want. Here's the way the covenant works. The covenant is is the same thing as a contract. They even acted out their contracts in the Old Testament. And Jesus was performing a contract when he said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. He was performing a contract. Well, here's the way the covenant worked. The stronger of the two parties, stronger of the two parties, this sounds just like a contract in real estate. I sold real estate for about 17 years. You have a contract, and you know who dictates the conditions of the contract? The seller of the house. He doesn't have to sell his house, and you can't buy it for whatever price you want, and you can't have him leave whatever you want him to leave in the house. It's whether the stronger of the parties agrees. So the stronger of the parties sets sets the conditions of the covenant. Sets conditions. That's the conditions. The stronger the parties, that would be God, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's the stronger of the two parties. He sets the conditions. And he gives you laws. Laws. And I've said this before out of the theological word book of the Old Testament. They tell you that a covenant was an arrangement was an agreement between a king and his subjects. That's the exact same definition as agape in the New Testament. This is agape. 
that we walk in obedience after his commandments. That's what a covenant is. Has the same, it's a synonym for agape. One of the words that's been translated into love and the other word is phileo. So God is the stronger of the parties and he dictates what he wants us to do. He says you cannot intermarry with the world. You cannot run with the world. There's another definition that men have called it in the New Testament. It's called church discipline. And if you run with the wrong party, the Bible says, what will happen to you? You will learn the ways of the heathen. You cannot just go out and do what you want to do. You cannot run with the world and say, I'm going to try to win them over to Christ. I'm going to go with them on a Friday night while they drink, and I won't drink. I promise you I won't. And I'll just sit there and try to talk to them uh, whenever I can get a chance about the Lord, and you never get the chance. Let me tell you, the Bible has much to say about that. There's a verse in the 22nd chapter. This is one of his conditions. You cannot run with the world. Look here in in Proverbs, the 22nd chapter. I love this these two verses. I read one of them here a couple of weeks ago, but didn't read the following up. So let me read it with it. This is what the Bible says you cannot do. 22nd chapter, verse 24. Make no friendship with an angry man, a man who is angry with God. And with a furious man thou shalt not go. And what happens to you is in the 25th verse. Lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. The word snare is the mokish, M-O-Q-U-E-S-H. Mokish means a noose that'll hang you. Means It's a noose for catching animals is what it is. It'll trip you up to wrong, run with the wrong people. That's God's requirement. And you won't know that until you've run around with the wrong people and picked up their habits. Has anybody done that besides me? I know you have. If you were to lie, there's no temptation taking me, but such as is common to you. Or it says there's no temptation taking a man, which is common to all men, there in 1 Corinthians, the 17th chapter. It's common to all of us. So if I loan up in my heart what I've done, you I know you've done it too. All right. Now, he says this over and over again. Look over here in 1 Corinthians 15 chapter. This matches up with everything that God said in the beginning that he does not want us to do. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Look at verse 33. Be not deceived. Planeo. 
P-L-A-N-E-O. Planeo is a form of the word planetes. I like this word, planetes. It means a rover. It actually means one who just wanders around and associates with everybody he wants to. Be not deceived, and it means to cause to be out of the way. There's only one way we're supposed to be in. It is the narrow way. Narrow way. Narrow is that word. How many times have I put this on the board? Thalibo. Thalibo. I'm spell it wrong. T-H-L-I-B-O. T-H-L-I-B-O. And it's a form of the word thalipsis. Thalipsis is the word tribulation. One is the verb, the other is the noun. This is the verb, this is the noun. Thalibo means to crowd through a narrow opening and be pressured on all sides. Anybody who causes you to be out of the way, they're deceiving you, and you don't have to be in tribulation anymore. And what causes that? The next part of this verse tells you what it is. Be not deceived. Evil communications, homilia, H-O-M-I-L-I-A, H-O-M-I-L-I-A. Evil communications, homilia, means companionship. You run with the wrong people, you get in trouble. Evil communications corrupt. Do you remember the word for thero? P-H-T-H-E-I-R-O. For thero means to rot or ruin. You run with the wrong people. Boy, this is a great verse. If you get to the definitions, it will rot your good, your krestos. See, that's not even the word agathos. It's the word krestos. It means useful. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. Goodness, in Romans, the second chapter, is a form of krestos. It's krestatos. It means useful. In other words, you quit following the ways of God when you corrupt yourself running with the wrong people. This is called church discipline. And God had that from the start. I started to read to you Deuteronomy 7, and he tells you that in Deuteronomy 7. That's what he's talking about when he's saying, don't intermarry with unbelievers. And then he says, it corrupts useful ethos, ethics. Ethos, that's the word morals. We get our word ethics from that. It means moral habits. Your morality will go down the drain running with the wrong people. Do I know that? Oh, gosh, do I ever. 
I used to know a guy in gospel music, and I would cut him slack every time he turned around. He would cheat, lie, steal, thieve. I'd say, well, I'll affect him. And you know what? I didn't affect him. He affected me. He caused me to start doing things I would not normally do. You say, I won't be, I won't be carried away with that. Sure you will. You cannot do. That's what God was saying to Israel when he would tell them, don't intermarry with these people. Let's go back to Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter, and let's read that. Those first few verses. Deuteronomy 7. Running with the wrong people is something you're not supposed to do. I wanted to get back into Judges this week, and I will. God told Israel, if you go after any, if you don't walk after my commandments in my covenant, in my contract, in my agape, I will send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. The beast is Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. And Babylon is the mother of all harlots. And the mother, mother of harlots, harlot is the word porne. Pornea or pornea means idolatry. And she was founded on self. The whole idea of running around with the wrong people is to fulfill your own personal desires. I want to have fun. I want to enjoy it. And I like these people. And I like their company. And maybe they cuss a little and they drink a little. And they do things they shouldn't do. But it won't affect me. And yes, it will. You ever had that problem of running with the wrong people and get affected by them? I've done that. I did that in gospel music and pop music. I did that in real estate. You can't... I know that is better than anybody here knows that. You cannot run with the world and be clean. You can't stay clean. You say, Jim, is this that tough? Oh, yeah. It's tough with God. Look here and... And Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5. Here's what happens to you. And you have to compare all of these verses. Deuteronomy, the 7th chapter. Chapter 7. Here's what happens when you marry. Intermarriage doesn't mean just intermarrying with... It doesn't mean intermarrying black and white. don't mean that. It means a believing woman... Marry an unbelieving man. It don't matter what color they are. If a black man wants to marry a white woman and they're both believers, I'll perform the ceremony. Because there's nothing wrong with black marrying white when it has nothing to do with what the clan says. And they take all these verses and pervert it. But notice what it says real close. Look here in Deuteronomy 7. Let's start here in the first verse. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land. This is Deuteronomy right before they cross the border. Right before they cross the Jordan River and go in and possess the land. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years. 
When the Lord thy God has bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to pass over, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. That's the people that have inhabited the land. You've got to understand. You have to understand. This is Deuteronomy. This is the end of their 40 year, 40 years in the wilderness. They're right at the end of it in Deuteronomy. They're going to cross over. That's why Deuteronomy's got all the warnings about them crossing over. And they've been out there in the desert 40 years. They were in, they were in Egypt 400 years. And they're at the end of the 40 years. God says, you're going to go into the land. You'll get into Judges. Actually, Joshua. And then Judges. Joshua. And then Judges. Now, before the 400 years was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. Joseph was carried into captivity because of the jealousy of his brothers. He, they were jealous of him because his father had made him the overseer over all of his. Joseph had the inheritance given to him through his second-born son Ephraim. And they didn't like it because he had the coat of colors. It wasn't a coat of colors. The word color in the Hebrew is the word A-Y-I-N. That's not the word Joseph's coat of colors. It's not a Donny Osmond coat on Broadway. And he did a stupid play where he's wearing this colorful coat. That's not what it was. It was a coat of pass. A coat of authority. His brothers saw him coming and he was wearing that coat of authority and they said, he's 17 years old and our father, Jacob, has made him boss over us and some of us are in our 40s. We don't like that. So they said, let's kill him. And of all people, Reuben, the one who was unstable as water said, let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him to a caravan going to Egypt. Reuben saved his life. And Joseph was getting what should have belonged to Reuben. That's amazing. He got the authority. But Reuben was the firstborn. He should have got it if he hadn't been unstable as water. So Joseph is sold into Egypt. But he wasn't a slave in Egypt. He ends up being second in Egypt to the Pharaoh. And you know the story about his dreams, about how he saves Egypt with a great from a great famine. That's not where Egypt goes into bondage. They go into bondage in Exodus, the first chapter, when a new Pharaoh rose up that did not know Joseph. So a new Pharaoh, it's not like he had never heard of Joseph. He didn't know Joseph personally. Joseph had been dead for many years. And he says, we got to put, since Israel is growing so strong in Egypt, we got to put them in bondage and we got to kill all the firstborn males. 
because there's a Messiah supposed to rise up. Speaking of Moses, who's going to deliver them, who's a picture of Christ. So when they, they're in Egypt for 400 years, then they leave under the leadership of Moses, and God tells them, if you go after, when Moses is on the mountain, God gives them the law. He gives them Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I would say Genesis, but that's the story of, that's this story right here. Abraham through Joseph and the flood and so forth. So when they get over here, God tells them, this is very important. When he says in Deuteronomy, if you go after other gods, I'll send these four judgments the sword, famine, the pestilence, and the beast. And I do not want you intermarrying with the heathens that have they've come into the land. I gave the land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Genesis 17 and Genesis, Genesis 28. And Joseph received the inheritance in Genesis 48 through his second-born son Ephraim. And I do not want you intermarrying with these pagans. These pagans, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, they came into the land sometime during that 400-year period and settled down in the land that was given to Abraham. So you got Hivites and Jebusites and all these ites was in the land, possessing the land. Well, God gave it to Abraham. Abraham lived... He got the land somewhere in the neighborhood of 2100 B.C. When Israel leaves the land of Egypt, it's about 14, somewhere in the neighborhood of 1435 to 1440 B.C. So this land that these pagans have come into and their sun and tree worshipers it belongs to Abraham. It don't matter who says they own it. God says, I gave it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel in the 32nd chapter of Genesis. And it belongs to him. And he had 12 sons that became the nations. So it belongs to him. It belongs to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or Israel. So the reason I'm bringing this out is because at the end of time, here the last 400 years, from night from 1517 to 1917, 400 year period, all of the Arab nations had moved in the same way these Hittites and Hittites had moved in, and they possessed the land. They possessed the land of Israel. They just took over. Because the Jews weren't allowed in there at that time. So they come in and that's ruled from 1517 to 1917. That's ruled by the Ottoman. I'll get it right in a minute. O-T-T-O-M-A-N. The Ottoman Turks. The Turkish Empire was ruling it for these 400 years. 
1917, that's when the during war at the end of World War One, except they didn't call it World War One. Why? They didn't know there's going to be a World War Two. They called it the Great War back then, the war to end all wars. And of course, it didn't. More people died in World War Two than died in any other war in history. About fifty-five to sixty million people died in World War Two. And so they were released from the in 1917. Israel was conquered by the British forces, which is part of part of the Allies, the British and America and France and all the rest. That was the good guys conquered Germany and all of their allies. So they issued the Edict of Toleration, not the Edict of Toleration, I'm crisscrossing this. They issued this Balfour Declaration. And that was a declaration by the by the ambassador to Israel. His name was Balfour. And he gave a declaration in 1920, and it was a very, very puzzling declaration. It sounded like it was favoring Israel, and it sounded like it was favoring halfway. It was very ambiguous. It sounded like it was favoring the Arabs. So they fought all through that time period until that declaration ended in 1948. 19, May 14, 1948, May 14th, because there were 6 million Jews killed during World War II, 6 million by Adolf Hitler, Harry Truman, our president, put the pressure on the world to make them a nation and give them the land that the Arabs had possessed for 400 years. The same way the Hittites and the Perizzites had possessed the land here for 400 years. So the Arab nation says, this land belongs to us, just like these guys over here said, this land belongs to us. That's why the Lord tells them over here, drive these people out of the land. It belongs to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even though they came in and there was nobody there, it doesn't invalidate God's covenant with Israel. They still had the land. It was theirs by ownership, by promise from God, by His covenant. It's amazing, isn't it, that they possessed the land 400 years over, equal to the 400 years over here. That's, that is like God saying, in your face. Nobody can invalidate my promises. So, so God tells them the Jews had to drive the people out of these lands. What they did, they set up a system. They went through the land. If this is Israel, and this is the Mediterranean Sea, and this is Egypt down here, 
and Ethiopia down here, and here's the Sinai Peninsula. They told the the Arabs, you have to go to one of two places. You have to go to the West Bank, or you have to go to the Gaza Strip. Gaza Strip is the ancient land of the Philistines. Ancient land of the Philistines or the land of Anak had many names. So what they did, they went here. So these people are always bombing Jerusalem, sending scud missiles or something like that, or blowing up cafes because they believe the land belongs to them. Possession is nine points of the law. Well, they owned it for 400 years, just like these people owned it for 400 years over here. What's the answer to that? There's not one. If if you went in, it's kind of like, I've said this before, if I bought a house and paid for it 30 years and some guy knocks on my door after I've had it paid for for 30 years on a particular kind of loan, and they say, Mr. Brown, you got to be out of here by Monday. This land, we fought it under an old ancient Indian land grant, and it belongs to the Seminoles or to the Cherokees, and you can't have it anymore, even though I bought it and paid for it. That's kind of the way the Arabs... I don't even blame the Arabs for feeling what they feel because they don't believe in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. I don't even blame them for feeling what they feel. Those guys that crashed the planes in the World Trade Center, they weren't crazy. They believed in their cause. They was willing to give their lives because for 400 years they owned the land. And they have what they call among the Arabs in their book, in their Koran. I've got a Koran at home. I've read through it. And I've marked it up. They they believe in killing the infidels. That's us. That's why they'll take Christians and cut their heads off. That's not a new thing. They've been doing that for thousands of years. So they have something in in this system. It's called Al-Fatah. The Al-Fatah is a, it's a promise among the Arabs that if you stop, if you stop the, let me put it up here. If you stop or do anything to hinder the expansion of the Arab system, like when we, when Harry Truman come up and and threatened to to sanction every port in the world if they did not declare, declare Israel a nation, when he did that, even the worst of nations, the most pagan of nations, said, "When we stop shipping 
a sanction was stopping shipments of any kind going into their ports. And Harry Truman is a hero in Israel because he did that, and that made them uh, that made them a nation. They met at the National National Council of Tel Aviv and declared Israel a nation, and that next day, all the Arabs declared war due to the Al-Fatah against every nation that was behind Israel becoming a nation. That's why the Arabs hate us, because we are the ones that caused them to become a nation May Fourteenth, 1948. We did it through our president, Harry Truman. I don't know that any other president would have done that. Harry Truman was a Baptist from Independence, Missouri. Maybe he had heard something about it. They call him a hero. He got introduced at one of their meetings as Harry Truman, the new Cyrus of of Israel. Cyrus is the one that liberated Israel from the Babylonians and sent them back home to build their temple. And they introduced him as the Cyrus, their savior. So, they're doing the same thing here as they did over here. It's even the same number, 400 years, 400 years. You think God did that just to slap us all in the face? God arranged it all. Well, we stopped it. Therefore, that's why they crashed the planes in the World Trade Center, because they're going to bring down the heathen America, the infidels. They believed in what they were doing. You either have to go with their their holy books or the Bible. One of the two. I believe the Bible. And just because there wasn't anybody there and the Jews did not occupy any of that land, they did not become a nation until May 14, 1948. This is why I believe we're close to the end. When these things begin to happen, lift up your head and look up for your redemption. Draw it now. This generation or her generation will not pass away till all is fulfilled. We're at the end. I believe we're at the end of time somewhere. And I'm not going to set a time on it. I'd be surprised if we go past 2040. I won't be alive then. We might not go past 2030. And this is one of the main reasons right here. It matches up with what's going on over here. Now, I hope I said everything on there. The United States was behind Israel, and they said, we're an al-Fatah. They call that a jihad, a holy war. America on May 15th, 1948 they were they declared a jihad or a holy war against the United States of America and that's why they're attacking us and kidnapping our officials and threatening them and beheading some because they said the land belonged to them now that's kind of scary because we have to be close to the end for this to be true. And it's amazing to me that it matches up, doesn't it? Now, we're talking about 
what we're supposed to be doing, not mixing with the world, right? That's called church discipline. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 7. Let's see exactly why God said don't intermarry with these people. Had The KKK is very stupid people. They think he was saying, don't intermarry black and white or black and red. Or That's not what he's saying. He tells you exactly here what he's saying. So, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. In verse 2, chapter 7, Deuteronomy. When the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them. Who? The Hivites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites. They were all sun and tree worshippers. You smite them, you kill them. People say God wouldn't kill anybody. God says, I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal. Therefore will I make thee sick in smiting thee because of thy sins. Israel, Micah 6, 13. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them from before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Kill them. You say, I I couldn't do that. I know you couldn't. You know why you couldn't? Because you can't think like God thinks. He said, your thoughts aren't my thoughts. You don't think the way I think. I picked my people out. I chose them. And he tells you in this chapter why he chose them. Not exactly why, but he tells you why. And shall make no covenant with them. Make no covenant with these people. Don't marry them. Nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Why? Because they're a different color? No. Thy daughter shall not give unto his son, and his daughter shalt thou not take unto thy son Israel. They believe different than you do. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. That's why. They want to serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, burn their graven images with fire, destroy their gods, and run them out of the country. That doesn't sound very Christian, does it? (laughs) For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. Well, he's talking to believers because he's killed off everybody from 20 years old and upward because they murmured against God at Kadesh Barnea. Remember that? The Lord hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above the people that are upon the face of the earth. Now he tells you why he did chosen. The Lord did not set his love upon thee, nor choose thee, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. Oh, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. And few there be that find the narrow way. Oligos. A puny number. 
Oh, he chose them because they were smallest and they couldn't take care of themselves. You were the smallest in number. Now, this is astounding because the KKK's gotten hold of this and they're stupid people. Anybody who defends themselves against the Klan, they need to look in the Bible and find out what the Bible says. The Bible says this over and over. He says, don't intermarry with pagans, with unbelievers. That also means don't run your life with them. Don't marry your life with them. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. And all through the Old Testament, he tells Israel, and he tells them in the New, don't intermarry with unbelievers. Look back over there in the New Testament. Look here in Ephesians 5. Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians 5. And he's talking about in Ephesians 5, he's talking about people that are covetous in verse... Actually, he says, walk in love, walk in agape... That's part of his covenant to us. That's agape, and agape is equal to the covenant of God. Walk in agape or walk in his covenant. As Christ hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet-smelling savor. But fornication, pornea, idolatry. Idolatry means to serve what you see. Idololatria. E-I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A. It means to serve, la truo, what you see, ido. means to serve what you see. Fornication, which is idolatry, and all uncleanness, We've, Akatharsia, we found that Akatharsia was the same thing as a demon, Daemonion. There was a man with an unclean spirit, Akatharos, in the first chapter of Mark, and in the fourth chapter of Luke, the same man said he had an unclean Daemonion, or demon. And Jesus rebuked himself. So a man that's into self, uncleanness can be designed can be defined as a man that's into himself and wants to fulfill all his desires. Or covetousness, planexia. Covetous planectase means to means to fulfill the flesh. It means to desire self. It's what it means. Let it not be once named among you. I don't want you here even talking about that once. Neither filthiness, oscurates, shamelessness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, Eutrapelia, E-U-T-R-E-P-E-L-I-A, Eutrapelia, it means to use the wrong language, use filthy language, 
while you're talking and trying to make a joke out of things. It means don't use the Word of God and try to joke about it. I don't like jokers who take the Word of God and make it a joke like Jesse Duplantis. The guy is a con artist. Now, foolish jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, pleonectes, wanting more. Covetous means to want more any way you can get it to be devious or underhanded, however, whatever you have to do. Who is an idolater? A covetous man is an idol worshiper. He worships self. Idololatria. To serve what you see. Hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? Kingdom of God is a term for spiritual Israel of the church. You're not going to heaven when you're practicing these things. Let no man deceive you. There's the word apatao, means to cheat or delude, A-P-A-T-E-O. Apatao is that word deceive. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Kinologia. Kinologia means empty Logos. Don't let anybody deceive you and lead you astray with words that are not the word of God. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God or the orgay that's sent by God upon the children of disobedience. And then he says, all these people that do these things, be not ye partakers with them. He's saying the same thing he was saying to Israel. When you go into the land, don't intermarry these people and don't be their friends. Don't go to dinner with them. Why would I go out with somebody on a fishing boat that believed in free will and they didn't believe that Christmas was pagan, they didn't believe in predestination, and they didn't believe in a pre-trib rapture, why would I go out fishing with them? I'd be ended up throwing them off of the boat before we got back to shore. I, I'm i not going. Wherever there's a fight and an argument, I don't go around those people. And then he says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye light in the Lord. Walk as Christians ought to walk as children of light and don't hang around these people. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship, no kononia, it's actually sugkononeo, with S-U-G. K-O-I-N-O-N-E-O. Koinonia is the word fellowship or partaker. Sug means with. It's the same thing as sum or su or soon. It means fellowshipping, binding yourself with these people that do these things. 
See, the New Testament's the same as the Old. God says, when you go into the land, don't bury them, they'll lead you away. And then he says, I have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, rebuke them. You don't have to just go out and jump people's cases and scream and yell at them. But if you see people and send, some people saying something, if somebody says something out in public, I say, well, no, that's not right. I, that's not what that means. I'm a, I'll make enemies doing that. But most of them, if they see me on TV, I'm wearing a shirt that says predestination is true. God doesn't love everybody. Usually they've seen me on TV and they don't want to argue with me because they know I'm kind of fully loaded to give them whatever they need to hear. So you can't have fellowship on fruit works of darkness, but review them. I want to show you, when you get to the book of Judges, watch Israel. When you get into Judges, all they do is wrong. God told them, right before Judges is Deuteronomy. And he said, don't intermarry with these people. He says that over and over and over again. He said, you can't intermarry with them. If you do, they'll affect you and they'll mess up your morality. You can't do that. Is that hard to do? It was for me when I was young. At 82, it's not hard for me to do now. I've already got a thousand enemies, so a thousand and one don't matter, does it? I got so many people correcting me on the internet and off the TV and giving me thunder. And some of them want me to take special time to them to be their personal guru. I don't mind being your guru. I can talk to you on the phone, but I can't answer every question you got. I don't have time. I got a thousand people calling me and emailing me. I just don't have time. You got to learn to read your Bible and read the books that I suggest and watch my DVDs and take notes on them. Just write me and say, give me some things on demons and we'll send them to you free. What else do you want? I got people that just get mad at me because I won't take special time just for them. I don't have time. Give me a break, will you? Now, I want to show you what Israel did. When they go into the promised land, when they go into the promised land, here's what they do. I want you to turn over here to... I'm going to show you where they go after all this evil when they get into the land. Boy, I all of a sudden got dizzy. All right. Well, I'll do that, Victor. I, I didn't know I had one here if you hadn't have told me. <laughs> some, i just been battling some dizziness. All right. Now, let's go over here to Judges. The book of Judges. And look here at what they do. God tells them not to marry the people. The same thing He tells us not to intermarry our lives with people.
Judges. I'm just going to give you some verses and show you what they do. Each time, each time they have a, I gave you these judges last week. The reason God sends a judge, the reason God sends a judge is to correct their sin. A judge was not only a judge, a lot of times he was their commanding general. And you had all these judges, Othniel, Ehud, Othniel. They weren't just judges. They were, but they were leaders in their attack against the pagans. Othniel. And then you had Ehud. Deborah. Excuse me, Shamgar. I saw something about Shamgar. And the only reason... I didn't fully understand Shamgar as I read through the Bible too fast. I slowed down, read it slow about Shamgar. And I said, oh, I didn't know that. I discovered that the other day. Shamgar and then Deborah. Gideon. This is the This is the way they appear in the Bible. This is the first time under these judges, this is after they come out of the wilderness. This is after the wilderness. And then Joshua goes into the land and fights all these people and drives out as many of them as he can, but they don't drive them all out. And Israel... This is the first time under Judges. Gideon, Tola, Jair, Jephthah. Tola, Jair, Jephthah. One of my favorites is Jephthah. Of course, I liked Ehud too. He was a left-handed man. They thought left-handed men were evil. And God says, I'll make that your second judge. I'll give you a man with left-handed. And he delivered him. And then you had Jephthah. And you had Ibzan. And Elon. Abdon. Samson. Samson. And then Samuel. And Samuel is in First Samuel. He's born in the second chapter. Now, these judges were military deliverers. They usually went in front of the army. They told Israel what to do. And the the command of God over in Deuteronomy before they get there is don't intermarry with these people, especially in the seventh chapter. Don't intermarry with them. And when they did evil 
each time before one of these judges, the Bible would say these words. Look here in Judges 2, 11. After Joshua the first, their deliverer, comes into Israel and delivers them, and then he dies. Joshua dies uh, in that uh, in the seventh and eighth verses. In the eighth verse, Joshua the son of Nun died. As soon as the judge would die, the righteous judge, they would go right straight to evil. In verse eleven, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served. Baal, he told them he would do that. He said, if you intermarry with these people, they intermarried with them in the earlier part of the second chapter. And they didn't drive them out in the first chapter. The children of Benjamin didn't drive them out in the 21st verse. The house of Joseph in the 22nd verse. All through here, the house of Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. All the way down here through Ephraim and Zebulun in the 29th and 30th verses. And they married him in the second chapter. He told them not to do that. Don't run with these people. You worship their gods. He said that in the... As soon as he says they did evil and they went and served Baal. And he said again in verse 13, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth was a generic term for the tree goddesses. This is before they become a nation in 1 Samuel. That comes sometime after this. When Samuel, the last judge, comes in, they don't become a nation. They don't become a nation under kings until 1 Samuel. The ninth chapter, where God picks out a king for them, picks out Saul, the first man king, and he said, you desired a king over you when God was your king. So we're in Judges before they're a kingdom and they're ruled by priests and by the judges who were a military leader. Every one of the judges was a military general. And the Bible says in verse 15 of the second chapter, whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against Israel for the evil they were doing, going after these gods, and God told them not to do it. Same thing he's telling the nation today. Don't intermarry. Don't run with the world. Don't listen to these false teachers. They're lying. And then he says in in the third chapter, the five lords of the Philistines in verse 3, the Canaanites and the Zidonians and the Hivites in Mount Lebanon and Beth Baal Hermon unto entering in of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel. Prove Nassau means to test Israel in ACAH. They were to put Israel in the fire to to not just prove them, to develop them and make them mature. And they were to prove Israel by them. And he says, 
Verse 5, the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They're not supposed to be living with them. They were supposed to drive them out, but they didn't. It's kind of like you're supposed to drive those unbelievers out of your life. Don't eat with them. I didn't say mistreat them. I don't mistreat anybody. I'm real polite to every... to every... uh, clerk i talk to at a store i may tell them i look at their name tag if it's a greek name i'll tell them what their name means in the greek and i say i'll bring you something else when i come back by i saw a guy right before i got to church tonight that i used to work with in real estate and he was uh, considered a good friend he said watch on tv I said, you do? Yeah, yeah, I do. I didn't say much to him. If he saw me on TV, he saw what I had to say. I said, that's good. We're on TV all over the country. He said, you must have a hard time getting around to all those places. I said, I don't get around. We tape them all. And just, he saw what I said on TV. And if he did, he knows what I believe. I wasn't going to bother to talk to him if he watched me on the TV. And he hadn't called me before. And I were considered real close in real estate. Verse 6, chapter 2, chapter 3. They took their daughters to be their wives. And they were pagans. And they worshipped these gods. When people, what other god do people worship when you run around with the wrong person? Self covetousness is idolatry covetous is idol worship and the idol they worship itself covetousness pleonectes means to want more however they can get it and verse 7 says the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and then God appoints Othniel to be their leader and he fights against an evil king And when he dies, in verse 12, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they ignored everything God said. Are we, are you ignoring what God says by running around the wrong people? We can't do that. I know that it's really hard not to do that because I've done that as a believer. That's pretty hard to do when you're as lonely during this coronavirus as you are, isn't it? And then he goes going to chapter four, verse one. Four verse one. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud, the next deliverer, was dead. Ehud was the left handed man that killed Eglon run the knife up into him and the dirt came out all the waste came out of his belly that was in the second chapter now I'm just kind of recovering some of the things I've covered chapter 6 verse 1 chapter 6 I'm going to talk about Let me go back and read verse 31. I'll show you something I saw. 
verse 31 of chapter 3. After Ehud, after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men. Now, he was the judge in Israel, but he was also the military commander with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. So he killed 600 men with an ox goad. Samson killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. So this shows you the power that a man has when he's following God. It don't mean you can physically whip people. It means God will see to the fight and he'll take care of you in the fight. But stay away from people who fight. Don't tempt God by putting yourself in a position where people can find you to blame or make you to blame. Now Shamgar is the judge after Ehud. But it only says when Ehud died, Israel went out. In that fourth chapter, I'm going to show you something I saw. In the fourth chapter, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan. The Canaanites was one of them that was going to prove Israel in that third chapter. Remember that? And the rain in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera. Ah, this is the chapter about Sisera. He is Jabin's commander, Sisera. This is the chapter where Sisera goes. Now, why is Jabin coming against Israel? They've been intermarrying with these people. They're running with them, putting their approval on them, just like you and I have done when we do that, and we're to withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. We're to withdraw from people. The Bible says if anybody brings any other doctrine, do not bid them Godspeed, caro. We get the word charis from that. Charis is the word grace. Don't be gracious to people who bring some other doctrine, some other didache, instruction other than instruction of God. Anybody that brings an instruction other than the truth, don't be cheerful to them. Always to mistreat them. No, you can be polite to people, but don't go to the house to eat and run around, go to the movies with them. Can't go to the movies nowadays anyway because they got all this cussing in them. Got the F word in every movie you can even think of. Makes me uncomfortable. Doesn't it you? I just want it. Just makes me mad. Well, why can't they make a movie and not put the F word in it? And they put it in there a hundred times. It's crazy. The world is nuts. Now, through this fourth chapter, I kept thinking Shamgar really didn't do much, and he was only mentioned that one time. So I went into my concordance, and I said, let me see how many times Shamgar is mentioned. He was mentioned twice. And I had read so fast through this that I didn't pay any attention. And when you go to the fifth chapter, 
The fifth chapter is going to tell you that Shamgar was the man who was leading the armies against Sisera in this fourth chapter. And he says in verse chapter 5, verse 1, Then sang Deborah and Barak, that's where Barack Obama got his name. Barack was the leader of the hosts of Israel at this point. He was the commander. And the son of Abinoam on that day sang, Praise you the Lord for the avenging of Israel. This is called the Song of Deborah, this chapter. When Deborah was the judge, Barak was her commander. When the people willingly offered themselves, Deborah is the one that told Barak to go into battle against Jabin the Canaanite. And that's in the previous chapter. I'll read that to you. Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord and will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when thou winnest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom. Mount Seir is in Edom. Edom is the descendants of Esau just south of Israel. Remember I told you that the Herods were Edomites. They're not supposed to be kings of Israel, but they were playing footsie with the Caesars at Rome, going over there and trying to charm them and trying to get them to point them to be kings over Israel when they were from Edom just south of Israel and they had no place in Israel. The Herods didn't. They were Edomites. <coughs> now, what verse was I in? Four. Four. Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom, Seir is in Edom, and the earth trembled and the heavens dropped, the clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted. That's not talking about a literal mountain. That's talking about powers. A mountain was a capital city. Melted before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, I'd read through this real fast. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael... Jael. Chapter 3 is about Jael. So it's talking about what happens in chapter 3 to Sisera was in the days of Shamgar, the judge. So you can just take chapter 4 and encompass all of that chapter That's where Jael catches Sisera, this this foreign general, and drives a nail through his skull. And Jael is the hero. J's are pronounced Y in the Hebrew. It's actually Y-L. Yael. Now, I want us to go back. Israel keeps going and running with the wrong people. They do everything that God said not to do. Do you do that? Have you done that? I've done that and I'm guilty. 
And I have asked God forgiveness. God, I won't do that again. Give me strength not to hang around the wrong people. So Shamgar was in the days of Jael. So that's all of chapter 4. So what we've got to do is go back and read chapter 4. How Israel has to be delivered by the hand of Shamgar. It looks like Shamgar's not doing not much. But it tells you in that fifth chapter, if you read slow, that chapter 4 is about Shamgar. Because that's the days of Jael. Let's go back to chapter 4. Do I have any time, Mike? We can't get through this. I'll do all I can. Look at verse 4 of chapter 4. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. She's the judge, but she recruits Barak to be her commander. She dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah, which is just north of Jerusalem, and Bethel, that's where Jacob was struck down in the 28th chapter of Genesis, and and he, they changed the name of the place to Bethel, house of El, house of the Lord. Beth means house, El means the Lord. In Mount Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh Naphtali. Naphtali is up here. Here's Naphtali. She called him out of Naphtali, up there. And Naphtali is up close to the area of Dan. Now, let's keep reading. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto Barak, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men, men of the children of Naphtali, and the children of Zebulon? That's right up there, too. So they had soldiers from Naphtali, and Zebulon, that's where Nazareth is. Zebulon, these were two sons of Jacob. Then he says, I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon, Sisera. I'm going to draw Sisera down, but I'm going to do that by the judgment of God. The captain of Jabin's army with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. And Barak said unto Deborah, If thou wilt go with me, I'll only go if you go with me. I want the judge with me. Israel didn't believe it was right for a woman to be ahead of him. And he was in this case. Then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, I will not go, Barak says. And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be with thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. That's who's going to get Sisera. 
And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. This is God. God's turned Israel over to Jabin, the king of the Canaanites. Why? Because they keep going after other gods and running with the people, which you're not supposed to do. And didn't he tell them that when he gave them their covenant? He said, do not... You have to keep my statutes and my commandments in order to get the blessings. You don't get them if you go intermarrying with the world. And Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali to to Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men at his feet, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites, and pitched his tent under the plain of Zanim, which is by Kadesh. And they showed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abedamim, was gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera's aware of this. And Sisera's the enemy general. And Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron. Whoa! You remember... The Philistines only had 300 chariots of iron. The iron chariots had these had these scythes on the wheels and they were blades. They would just cut people to pieces as the chariot rolled. And you couldn't stand against them. Here's the chariot. Here's the blades. And they had 900 of them. That's impossible to fight unless God is on your side. 900 chariots of iron and all the people that were with him. Now, Sister's the bad guy. He's the guy that God wants to get and he's going to get him. From Herosheth of the Gentiles unto the river of Kishon. And Deborah said unto Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera to a woman. And thine hand is not the Lord gone out before thee because Israel. So God sends Deborah and Barak to deliver Israel. As soon as they're dead, they'll go back to sin again. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him. And the Lord discomfited Sisera. They whipped him. Like the Bible says, hip and thigh. And all his chariots and all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away, running for his life. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host, and unto Herosheth and the Gentiles and all the host of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. This was God's deliverance to Israel. And every time they'd get a new judge and they'd be turned over to their enemy, they'd go, oh, God save us. And he'd send a judge to deliver them, a general, a commander. Howbeit Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Canaanite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera, and she's putting on an act. 
and said unto him, Turn in, my Lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in to her in the tent, she covered him with a mantle. Say, you need to be warm here. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and said, This will be more nourishing. We'll give you some milk. And gave him drink and covered him. She's putting the con on him. Again he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come inquire of thee, and say, Is there a man in here? You say no. She says, Okay. We'll do it your way. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent, took a tent stake, a tent peg, and took a hammer in her hand and went softly in to Sisera and smote the nail in his temple and fastened it to the ground. It's done. That's exactly the prophecy. You'll get Sisera with a woman, Barak. For he was fast asleep and weary. So he died, I guess. So you drive a nail in a man's temple to the other temple and nail it to the ground. I guess he would die, wouldn't he? And he died. And God delivers Israel by the hand of Barak and Deborah. And they go right back to sin. They're amazing. Israel is amazing. But America is amazing too. All these Baptists and Church of Christ and Pentecostals call themselves Christian. They don't tell the truth. How can men walk in God's commandments? And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, I'll show thee the man whom you're seeking. He's dead as a hammer. And when he came into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead. And the nail was in his temples. I guess so. Nobody taking it out. So God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin the king of Canaan until they had destroyed Jabin the king of Canaan. And they were there to prove. How much time do I have, Mike? I wanted to get, and then you get into Shamgar and Deborah. And I wanted to take you into into, uh, Jephthah. I wanted to get through all of this. It kind of reviews Sisera through the rest of that chapter, how she took a nail and drew it through his head. She She did the will of God by killing this enemy who wanted to destroy Israel. But the only reason they wanted to destroy Israel is God raised up, he raised up Jabin, the evil king, to bring his general sister in there to try to conquer Israel, all because Israel kept going after evil and running with the wrong crowd. Reminds us of Ahab and Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a really a good man. But Jehoshaphat had one problem. He ran around with the wrong people. (laughs) Jehoshaphat 
Ahab, king of northern Israel, came down to southern Judah and said, Jehoshaphat, you're my brother. We're we're brothers in the flesh. You're of the tribe of Judah, and I'm of northern Israel. And will you go help me fight Ben-Hadad? And Ahab was a killer and a murderer. He had murdered many people. And his wife was Jezebel, and she'd killed many, the Bible says. And he killed, she killed Naboth with, and Ahab, and Naboth was a righteous man. Well, when Ahab, when Jehoshaphat runs around with Ahab, Jehoshaphat was a good guy. He had the Bible read all throughout Israel. And when Jehoshaphat, when Jehoshaphat here in southern Judah, he's the king of southern Judah, and he runs around with Ahab. Ahab's somehow their son and daughter gets together. Jehoshaphat's son is Jehoram. He sees Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. She's hot. He sees her one night at some party, and he ends up marrying her, and she brings all of her, all because of him running around with the wrong people. She brings her gods down into southern Judah. Ahab had brought them into the northern Israel. And that destroys the rest of southern Judah because he ran around with the wrong people. The wrong people will get your life destroyed is what it'll do. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth. God, I pray you'll give us strength to live the way we should, to live holy and godly and righteous before you, Lord. I pray that you'll fight all of our battles. I don't want to fight anybody anymore. I'm just tired of fighting. You fight our battles just like you call these judges to fight for Israel. You are our great judge and our commander. We turn it all over to you. I just pray for this ministry that you'll open up doors for it all over the world. And the Lord will praise you for everything, give you glory for everything you do, good and bad, because we know it's all for our good. In Christ's name we pray, amen. That's a lot. Huh? Is Jerusalem the capital of Eden? Well, that's what Donald Trump did, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if Joe Biden will change it back. It was Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is on the east coast of Israel. It's over by the Mediterranean Sea.